Welcome back to another bonus episode of Best Hour of Their Day. I got a ton of amazing feedback from you guys last week when we gave you the prologue, the intro chapter to my book, Best Hour of Their Day, and followed up the chapter with a discussion, taking a deeper dive into my early years getting involved in my wrestling career and pre-CrossFit when I was just teaching group fitness and personal training for what seemed like 35 hours a day. Well, today's going to be the first chapter of the book, Best Hour of Their Day, and I'm super excited to present it to you. If you guys are loving this, please let me know. I hope you are. If you're enjoying it enough that you want to go purchase the audiobook, you can do that on Audible. And of course, I have the link in the bio here. So if you have any feedback, you have comments, you have questions, I'd love to answer them. I wrote this book as a passion piece, as a passion project. It was something I really cared about. One day I just started writing and, you know, and 30 chapters later and a whole lot of editing, I was done. So I really hope you enjoyed it. And I also want to give a shout out to the dude that's interviewing me, James McDermott. You probably recognize that we have a great rapport. That's because James was one of my head coaches at Albany CrossFit. He came to me as an intern, which we talk about a lot in these chapters, and he worked his way up to a coach and then ultimately my head coach. And he's one of the most fantastic human beings I know, as well as just one phenomenal coach. If you want to find out more about James, if you just think his voice is sexy, you can check out his own podcast. It's The Barbell Strikes Back. He's kind of a Star Wars nerd, spoiler alert. Um, And you can also check out some of the books. He wrote a book with John North about Olympic weightlifting. And he's got a couple other really top secret books in the works that I'm not allowed to talk about. But trust me, if you like fitness, if you love CrossFit, if you just enjoy listening to people talk about their journeys through the health and wellness industry, you're going to want to check him out. You can find him on Amazon. You can find him on Instagram all those places, James McDermott. So once again, here's chapter one of my book, Best Hour of Their Day. All right, Jay, we're talking about chapter one of Best Hour of Their Day. Go all in, whether it be a plate of all-you-can-eat sushi, hitting a workout, or starting a business. I have a feeling that going all in is a big part of your daily and life mantra. Can you explain the philosophy of go all in a little more and how it plays into how you go about your day? Well, as you said, specifically for all you can eat sushi, I always go all in, but we talked about it a little bit in the prologue and there are times to just set mini goals and tiptoe, you know, just dip that toe in the water. But there are times where you just gotta, you know, scream cannonball and, you know, jump into the, to the icy cold, you know, rivers and streams that are are nearby your home. And, And this was one of those, scenarios. I think for some things, if you don't say, hey, I'm doing this, I'm giving my 100%, I'm diving in head first, you're not going to be successful. You're always going to have a, you know, whether it's a backup plan or you see coaches that, you know, run a box, but they have a real job on the side. For me, it was just, I needed to do it. I needed to give 100%. I needed to make a change. And it is something I try to do in especially the most important aspects of my life, you know, be it coaching at the box, uh, my own training, or even just my relationship, you know, it's with my wife, it's, you have to be fully committed. Now, I mean, 
you're very used to going all in and hitting things head on. Has there been a time or are there examples of moments where you didn't go all in and maybe you regretted it a little bit? Can you think of any specifics? You know, I think you can always look back and, and think of regrets or things that I would, you know, I'd love to be, uh, you know, a, a rock and roll superstar, you know, touring the country. And I take, I have taken guitar lessons and I practice a little, but it's definitely something I didn't go all in on. Or, you know, even to some extent, I owned a yoga studio back in the day and I was very into yoga, but I never went all in. You know, I had a yoga practice and I, and I did it and I had my yoga studio that was in downtown Albany, but it wasn't my passion. You know, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed teaching people, but I definitely didn't go all in. I always kept a little side job going. You know, I owned my yoga studio, but would do personal training on the side at other gyms or teach classes elsewhere. And that's why I've given this advice to people you know, James, where they own their own business. And I've said, you've got to quit any other job you have, because if you're spending time waiting tables or you're spending time, you know, doing something online to make a few dollars, that's time that should be spent on your business. If you can't make up for the you know, $50 you make waiting tables on a Sunday morning on working on your own business, you need to shut your business down. Yeah. It's also a great way not to get a deal on Shark Tank. They find <laughs> out you have that side job. Well, and, and exactly because you wouldn't want to team up with somebody that isn't fully committed, right? You're investing, be it money, time, any energy. And if, if they're not committed, why are you going to be committed? So I think, yeah, you see that all the time on Shark Tank. Like, oh, you still have a real job? I'm out. Yeah. And, and, and that's how I felt about starting my first CrossFit affiliate. Well, let's dive right into that. The early days of starting your affiliate, first you had to get the level one and it was in Canada. So you had to travel, you had to get hotel expenses. The cert itself cost $1,000. So, and you didn't have that money in your bank account and you had to go all in. And what, what drove you to make that decision? What about CrossFit pulled you in that you're like, okay, I am going to go all in and I'm going to travel to another country and I'm going to go do this cert travel to another country like <laughs> Canada but um you know I think it just some things are serendipitous if you will and CrossFit came to me just the right time you know in the book I talk about I was kind of lost ready to leave the fitness industry on you know on on a bike ride with Susie and I'm like I gotta do something with myself and I just kind of saw that without making a change I was either going to be forever chasing clients as a personal trainer, which I didn't hate, but I was getting very burned out or having to take another path completely and get a real job as a teacher or a school psychologist with my, with my master's degree. So I fell in love with CrossFit on day one, luckily got in touch with, you know, back in the day, Nicole Carroll used to respond to all the affiliate uh, inquiries and, and questions. And there were, weren't level ones every weekend and there certainly weren't 10 or 20 of them every weekend and she said hey then the closest ones to you are pittsburgh or toronto and you know little did i know at the time those would be the last two seminars that coach glassman regularly showed up to he still shows up once in a while but not the same as he was literally the guy teaching every single lecture that we had from what is crossfit to the press group and you know, just to show for me how much my life has changed, you know, when was this? 2007. So 
13, 14 years ago, just a simple trip to Canada, you know, six hour drive. It's like I pack up the car with probably too much luggage. My girlfriend is with me. Like we're looking at places to eat, having traveled, you know, for over 200 seminars now after, you know, 10 years, my, my life on the road is much simpler. But to me back in the day, that was like a huge excursion. Like you said, traveling to another country where nowadays that's just a, a typical, you know, I've flown to, Dubai and back over a weekend. It's a little different than Toronto, Canada. Yeah. So it's definitely once you get used to traveling, it, it doesn't phase you as much. Whereas someone like myself, I don't travel often. It's like, oh, we're going to New York City. Wow. All right. Yeah. And you're um, like, you're like, hey, Joanna, pack up your car, you know, pack up your things. We're going away. And it was the same thing. You know, the girl I was living with, it's like, of course I want you to come. Where now when I go away for the weekend, Ross is like, do I have to go? Like, I don't want to go. It's like, no, you stay home. I'm going to work. Yeah. Now, I mean, at this level one, Glassman was there, but it's also a star-studded level one that many CrossFitters and coaches today would would kill to be able to go to get this kind of a coaching staff. You had Annie Sakamoto, Ava Tordokens, John Gilson, Pat Sherwood, Dave Castro, and Glassman there. Uh, do you remember specifically who did what? Were they mostly just assistants? The classmen, you know, just uh, giving quick and concise cues, or did they actually lead lectures? What was kind of the format of this level one, if you remember? So, I, I remember bits and pieces because at the time you're not realizing how unique this is. So I yeah. remember, I remember uh, we stayed at a hotel that was walking distance, and it was at CrossFit Toronto, which was basically in this empty warehouse, and it was freezing cold, like no heat in there, and it's, I, I believe it was September October of 2007, so it was. It was getting to be pretty cold. And I can tell you, having when we did Fran, uh, at, at, right before lunch on day one, my forearms were ice, like locked up because they were so cold. And you ever have that pain in your forearms where you've just like overdid it? Like I couldn't get them to feel better again. But I remember walking in and one of the first people I saw were Coach Glassman. And it's, you know, this is before the day and age of like influencers and, and famous people on YouTube and Instagram. And I was like, wow, that's the guy from the videos. You know, and then you start to look around and you do see like the Nicole Carrolls and the Eva T's and um, all those, the Gilsons who I'd been in touch with. And so for those listening, if you, if you go on YouTube, there was a video of Gilson and who was he? I forget who he was. Go oh, and, his name was Anthony Bainbridge, I believe, from from Canada. And they were in the middle of this like competition going on where the loser had to work out in a dress. And I was at the seminar where Gilson had to do that. He had to work out in a dress. But I remember him talking to me about programming and talking to me about equipment. It was, you know, I'm like, wow, this is John Gilson talking to me. Was he so, wearing a dress while he was talking to you about all that? <laughs> no, no, this is he's back in his normal attire again. Okay. Um, and I remember watching Pat Sherwood do a workout that was like five muscle-ups, 15 overhead squats for five rounds. And, and that wind up being on the CrossFit Journal. Because back then, you know, there's only one level one. So everything they filmed was then used on .com, where now they probably have hours, days of unused footage that, that's not getting used, you know, on, at the Journal or on, on the YouTube channel. So Coach Glassman did the majority of the move, the methodology lectures. I remember that. I honestly don't remember who demoed the movements. Um, I remember sitting front row. Um, I don't remember who demoed the movements, but I do remember 
right before the second half of day one, they do the presses lecture and he brings Nicole Carroll out there. And you can see other versions of this. I don't think this one is on the, the CrossFit channel, but he used to bring Nicole Carroll out and he would do two demos, one of the overhead squat, which she didn't do this weekend, but she did a press demo. So basically he hands her 115 and he, he says, take this overhead as many times as you can. And actually I misspoke right before that he pulled somebody out of the crowd and his name was Barry. I remember he owned CrossFit Orange. He had recently passed away recently, meaning, you know, current time and in 2019, he passed away, but we remained friendly after the level one. So he pulls Barry up there and he goes, press this barbell. And I think Barry got 17 reps at 115, nothing, you know, pretty strong. Then he brings Nicole up there and she starts to, to hit it, but as push jerks, and she, of course, then beats Barry and gets like 18 reps. And that's kind of the beginning of the press lecture. This is a more efficient movement. Let's talk about how we do it. So I remember that. And then I remember the only other thing I remember is Dave Castro doing the GHD lecture. But, but outside of that, it was mostly Coach Glassman. We did Tabata squats really early on day one, bottom to bottom Tabata squats, the entire group of people, which is like 50 participants and you know, another 20 or so people taking their quote unquote level two, which back in the day just meant you came back to take your level one again. Um, and then that, I slightly remember the breakout groups. I remember Tony Budding coaching me on the snatch. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, I'd like to, it's hard to think back and remember that because again, it's like back then you didn't think it was anything special or unique. Now we look back and we're like, wow, those were some superstars. Yeah, and you don't realize because you're living in the moment, you're living it as it's going on that these are going to be future, very influential people in the fitness industry and CrossFit's going to take off and all this stuff is going to happen from it. If, if you're talking to someone who's thinking about taking their level one right now, uh, some, again, we don't realize that we're living something awesome while it's happening. What advice would you give to someone who's going to take their level one and might be in a situation like you are where maybe 10 years down the road, it's Jason Ackerman, the best hour of their day. And they didn't, you know, they're taking the level of you. Are there things that they should talk to with instructors, like ask extra questions, try to get more FaceTime, volunteer more? Like what are things that you would recommend uh, that maybe you wish you would have done as well? I, I definitely think, you know, little things. I would definitely take a picture with the, the trainers on staff. Just to remember it, you know, we typically after the seminar ends, there's three to five people that want to take a picture with the trainers. Um, sometimes that line gets crazy and everybody, once one person does it, everybody wants to, but do that. So you have that kind of, you know, as a memory. And then just with, with every section and, and notes, I would just encourage you to, you know, sit, write down who gave it, take good notes there. But, but really as far as enjoying it, I would say, the challenge is, you know, there's a test. So a lot of people kind of get a little worried about the test and then they lose sight of just enjoying the moment. The test is what it is, pass or fail, enjoy the weekend, uh, you know, be present and then just have a good attitude. And we pick up on that. If you're smiling and you're having a good time, the trainers have a better time and, and, and we enjoy being around you. I like that. Just immerse yourself in the experience and make memories. Yeah, try to treat it differently than everything else in your life. You know, put your phone down. Don't worry about, you know, texts and social media. Just sit there and listen and enjoy. Now, 
at the end of the seminar, uh, you ask Glassman for a piece of advice. And in the text, you say that all he's basically said to you was care. Uh, was there anything that you remember from dealing with Glenn at the, or Greg at the, the seminar or maybe after where the way he cares uh, is exemplified to you? No, just seeing his passion for the weekend and seeing him, you know, especially back then. I mean, obviously things have changed in the last 13 years for him. But back then it was just like, you can tell he was just someone really excited about what he was doing. It was on the cusp of becoming this phenomenon and changing the fitness industry. But just seeing that, like, he was sitting there talking to people. Like, during lunch, he didn't disappear into his own room. He just hung out and chatted with people. Dinner, like, Saturday night everyone was invited out. He's there hanging out. I mean, now he's a, you know, if not billionaire, certainly a millionaire. And I don't think it's changed him necessarily, but you can tell back then he was just a trainer that really sparked something new. So it was cool to see. Um, and, you know, again, in retrospect, you didn't realize what this was going to become. To me, it was just like, I found this awesome thing called CrossFit, but it was no different than taking any other certification I had been at or training. You know, I had taken dozens over the years from yoga to kickboxing to personal training courses. Like, this is another one. You didn't realize this is going to be the one that truly, truly changes your life. Now, one more, one more question based off of that weekend and the spark of your diving into being a box owner and a CrossFit trainer. Uh, you've, you do the level ones quite often now, uh, almost every weekend. You're on the level one staff. And uh, how do you think you stack up versus Glassman on giving some of those lectures? I'll tell you, you know, I can tell you this. I probably hit the timeline better than Coach Glassman would do okay. today, right? Meaning he would just, you know, every lecture has a specific amount of time we're given to, to present it. And Coach is notorious for going off on tangents and talking about what he wants to talk about. But, you know, that's like someone covering uh, – all along the watchtower like you can make a great cover but it's not going to touch you know bob dylan you know everybody equates it to Jimi hendrix but it's really bob dylan's song and i think you know the the true fans and the true rock musicians realize that it's the same with coach classman like i'm i i like to think that i'm one of the best you know lecturers on staff i put a lot of time effort and energy into my lectures and really care about them but i you know it still doesn't hold the candle to what coach glassman would do so you're saying you're Hendrix. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm like Jimmy. I've taken a great lecture or a great song, tweaked it up a little bit, but, you know, there's still the original. Perfect. Now, uh, later on in the chapter, you talk about how your, some of your first experiences with members and the early days of having a gym where it's, it, you can almost be too generous as a trainer or a box owner meaning giving people deals on their memberships and things like that. And I think a lot of people get into coaching and owning a gym because we want to help people. And sometimes you can get taken advantage of. Um, do you think that in a, in a way it's almost bad coaching to be too generous on some things with your time or how much you're giving a certain someone, uh, or it's sometimes good to let them fend for themselves a little bit? I think it's a balance of both, you know, and I think it's really, let's, let's talk about the present there, which is like, you know, 2007, you open and I'm just like, man, I need to get as much money as I can. And that might mean someone 
saying, hey, I don't have $100, you know, because I think that's what I was charging to kick off or even feeling guilty about it because I'm a trainer who went from charging, I think my rate at that time was like $40 an hour. So now I'm asking for 100. It's not one-on-one, you know, and, and a lot of those were my clients. So I have to really ask them for that additional $60. And, you know, you just, you're just like, well, I need to pay the bills. You know, that first uh, rent check of $850 that I had to pay to the, to the court club, it's like, I need to get there and need to buy equipment. And, and again, I put all my money into this and, and borrowed money from my girlfriend at the time. So, you know, I did, if I knew now, or if I knew then what I know now, I wouldn't have given the deals because the other thing I would say on that, and you've been a part of this numerous times at Albany CrossFit, I won't bring up names, but if you're giving out discounts to members, those are the members that you get resentful of are shitty members and aren't appreciative of what you're doing. Now that's not to say all of them fall into that, but you and I can make some eye contact over this call and immediately think of a handful that fall into that category, you know, and, and I talk about it later on where it's like, I just gave you a discount and you're posting a picture on social media of you at a fancy restaurant with a $200 bottle of wine. You know, I'm trying to pay my bills too. So if you're listening to this, I'm not saying never discount memberships, but I'm saying do it rarely and make sure it's for the right person and for the right reason. And Early days, that cost me a, a actually like a pretty serious relationship. I don't think I talk about it in the book, and I don't want to use names, but I had a really good friend who didn't quite get that I was running a business now. You know, I used to help her out all the time, train her for free, and when I opened the business, I was like, I need to charge you. Like, I need to run this as a business. She didn't like it, and she, it, it really, you know, it, it ended our friendship pretty much, and I stuck by it because I was like, I need to treat this as a business and I can't give, I realize if I give it to you for free, it's other people are going to come, come back to me. And, you know, un- unfortunately it ended a friendship, but it, you know, taught me a valuable lesson. And it was something I wound up saying to a lot of members going forward, you know, Hey Jay, I thought we we're friends. I'm like, yeah, we are. Which is why I would think as my friend, you would want to pay me what, what I should be paid. You know, your buddy owns a restaurant. You're not like, Hey, serve me for free. It's like, and that's a lesson I've learned over the years. Like if someone is your friend, you want to give them their value. So it's a weird psychological phenomena to kind of see that all play out. You know, I don't know where it comes from. And I, I can see how both parties would get resentful of one another. No one's feeling as valued as they should be. Um, are there any moments where you're able to overcome that with someone where they did finally realize, okay, this is a business. I need to support Jay. This is, this is not a under the table friend type of thing. Yeah. I can't think of any specifics, but I know I just got better about it because especially those early days, I mean, any, first of all, the original, you know, 10 to 15 people were either my clients or friends. And then the next kind of group of people that came in, you know, I talk about her in the book, Jess, who winds up bringing in like 10 of her friends from the Troy area. I mean, they were my age and we became friendly. And back then it wasn't, mind body online or Wattify or whatever we're using. So I literally had to go up to these people once a month and collect cash or checks, which is hard, but I got over it. Cause you're like, I need this to pay my bills there. And then the, I think the longer I was established, I'm not talking years. I'm just talking months. The more confident you are like, you're like, this is real. You know, at first you're like, we'll see what happens. Like shy and I, the owner of the core club, 
didn't have a contract. It was a handshake for many years. And, you know, you're like, well, if it shuts down, cool, we'll fix a couple of spots on the floor that we broke and you can have your racquetball court back. But then months into it, you're like, no, this is a real business and I have to come up with 850 again and I have to buy insurance now. And, you know, I have to buy more equipment down the road because classes are getting busier, et cetera. Did, did you ever have a moment in the early days where you kind of felt like, uh, like you were almost like an imposter? Like I know some new coaches go through like imposter syndrome where they're like, okay, I did the level one cert and I've been working and, and, tr and shadowing other coaches, but I don't feel like I should be talking to people or I should be doing this or, you know, uh, when did it become real for you? And did you ever feel like you didn't belong at first? You know, luckily I never really felt that way. And I don't think it was because I felt like I was the great coach, but it was really, especially in the beginning, the first 10 people were like middle-aged women, you know? So I knew I was their only coach. They already trusted in me. No one else was teaching this CrossFit thing. And then as the, as the membership grew and it became younger, I was the fittest one there. So, you know, sometimes it's your coaching ability. Sometimes it's your fitness level. But I never really felt that way because I was the only one that had this experience. And at the time, it's, you know, 10 years of coaching experience. And no one can really touch me as far as fitness level. That's not to say I was good. Don't get me wrong. Like, yeah. but I was the best in Albany until like someone like Matt Hain, you know, who will get excitement out of knowing I mentioned him. <laughs> but, you know, until he came and I'm like, oh, wow, that dude's fitter than me. Like we did Fran one day. He beat me. I was like, I'm no longer the best here. And is that the same uh, in regards to being a business owner? That you felt the same way about being a business owner and an entrepreneur? You know, I don't think it ever clicked that I was a business owner for quite some time. I don't even remember when that light bulb kind of went off. I think it finally went off when I was like actually making real money and paying the bills. Because, you know, we talk about going all in. You know, I went from, a, you know, kind of full-time job at the core club, teaching lots of classes. I was teaching all over town and I gave up basically everything in order to do this thing. And now I was like, well, now I have to pay my bills. And very quickly I was able to, and that's when I was kind of under that feeling like now I do have a business. I, but I never really thought of myself as a business owner. I just thought of myself as a trainer that had a little spot. And I don't, I don't remember. I think I probably didn't feel like a business owner until I had employees until we had a coaching staff, you know, so that's probably two or three years later. I'm like, wow, I, I'm in charge of other people's livelihood now. I need to run this better. Do you have any advice for new business owners or new coaches that are a little um, unsure of themselves in the very, very beginning? Well, the advice to business owners, like if you're opening a new box would be treat it like you want it to be treated in the future. You know, and that means doing things properly, getting, you know, getting an attorney, filing for your EIN, you know, the classic government type stuff, you know, set up your corporation or whatever. So you're protecting yourself, but then also, you know, learning how you're going to pay your taxes and getting a good accountant. Um, and then, and then beyond that, really just strive to become the best that you can be at that. Treat, treat it like a business, you know, which means starting things on time, being organized, keeping the box clean. You know, back then, I don't even remember how we clean. I don't even know if we ever, I don't think we cleaned the box till you came along, James. Oh gosh. You know, and that was three or four years later. But, you know, and there's like, you know, Marley hair everywhere. So, um, 
There was a Marley corner in the double. Yeah. So I would say just, just, I tell this to people and I I didn't make this up. I think it was John Gilson that was kind of like, Hey, if you want this rule to be in effect in 10 years, you have to put it into effect on day one, because if you don't, it's going to be very hard to get your members to do it. Yeah. It's, it's, it's hard to take things away if you've been letting it go for quite some time. Exactly. Now these um these early members so these early members they were your personal training clients and group training tra- clients. Uh, how did you get more members after that? Were you advertising? Were you out on the street with a sign? Like what, <laughs> what were um, you doing? So those original members were I think off the top of my head it was Susie, Donna, Diana, Noreen, and then eventually like a fifth one was like Lenora. So those were all my middle-aged women clients. And then a few more came in. I had a client named Beth. Does Anne-Marie still go there? Yep, Anne-Marie's still there. That's crazy. 13 years later, Anne-Marie is still there. Yeah. Um, you know, Diana. And her, still... her two daughters, too. The twins? Yep, they're, they've been members for years now as well. Just to you know, give perspective, it's like those were like two-year-olds when I started coaching at the core club. And I used to yeah. just, you know have so much fun with those two girls. They were crazy. Um, they, they just got their RN degrees and everything. They're like in careers me now. feel really old right now. <laughs> yeah. um, so at Anne-Marie's a great woman. But yeah, they were, all my, they were all my clients. And I remember I, you know, back in the day when there was a tight pad website, right? That's what I used. And I remember putting up a picture of those women and saying, who's going to get their pull-up first? Like that was the big challenge back then. Like which one of these ladies is going to get their first pull-up? And I believe it was Diana. So if she's still around, give her a big hug for me. But I remember Nicole Carroll just just goes to show the difference. Like back then, sends me an email like, that's really awesome that you're doing that and that you're, these women are getting pulled. Like out of nowhere, she's checking the, you know, the Albany CrossFit .typepad.com website. Um, so those were my first few members. And then being in the Globo Gym, being in the core club, a handful of people started joining, which of course – presented its own problems with Shy because I'm taking his members, you know, accidentally, but here we are having fun and they're looking at it. And then, and then, like I say in the book, this girl, Jess Lasky comes around, um, who was a friend of one of my clients, John Morrow. You remember John? I don't remember him specifically. You know, he moved away, but he brought Jess in. And then, and then it was just like, we were off to the races. Once John and Jess came and we had that little bit of a younger crew, it just, blew up people like you know i'm gonna throw out some names toph mj andrea kelly um ted jared alana remember all those people um you know thinking back on it it gives me great like fuzzy feelings because it's like that was so much fun back then but um you know it just kind of spiraled this wasn't there were no facebook ads you know eventually we did that eventually we did some radio ads eventually we did some other stuff but it was really word of mouth now, I mean, at this time, you're getting new members in. You're you have a space that doesn't get cleaned too much. There's Marley hair everywhere, but you're doing everything else, which is a lot. You're managing the memberships. You're doing the programming. You're doing the website with all the photos, thousands of photos every night. Um, how did you manage starting this business, maintaining and growing this business, but also staying fit at the same time? I, I've met quite a few box owners where that seems to go out the window right away. And they probably have more resources than what you had back in the day. Yeah, no, that, you know, you'll read about it in later chapters and we'll talk about it. But those first days, 
it was a little easier because honestly, I think the world was a little bit simpler. And I mean, I'm not trying to be cheesy, but it was like, there was no social media at the time. You know, Facebook was just coming about. So I wasn't having to worry about all those other things along the way. It was like, check your email regularly, put up a type pad, you know, post every day and then coach the classes. And I had lots of downtime throughout the day. And just to show you what it was like in 2007, I didn't even have a laptop back then. Like I, have to, I used to have to sneak into the owner's office and log on to my email on his computer. Like it was it's before. the same computer right now, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it was like, you know, using a PC, this, you know, at the time it was old. Now it's, you know, even older. But, you know, then eventually I remember getting my first Mac laptop because I was like, I need to be able to do more work during the day. And I got that old, the old white one. Remember like the classic Mac, the first laptop, that white one that yep. came out. Um, and I was like, wow, this is great. Like I can make videos. There's iMovie on it. And that's when it started to get a little bit out of control. But, but early days, you know, and then other people would just show up early for class. I'd be like, let's hit a workout together. So it was always just squeezing in workouts here and there. And, and keep in mind, it was before that, you know, huge push of competition where we didn't think, hey, I need to do another workout. It was like, cool, I did Fran. I'm done for the day. I did my thing. Now, ex explain, explain that. Like, what was the early day format of the class? Like, was there a whiteboard briefing? Was, was there a warm-up? Uh, how long is Fran taking everyone? Are you just letting them go for 40 minutes, just grinding through it? Like, explain a, a, a day's worth of class. Honestly, I need to think back and try to remember it. I mean, I remember, at least for the first few months, there was no programming. I would literally go in, in the morning and just either ask them what they wanted to do, create something, or just, like, look up what CrossFit did. You know, or maybe the three or four other boxes that I respected, you know, and checked out what they put up there. Um, and then I think, you know, there was a little bit of a brief. I know that because I would have to sometimes explain the movements, you know, and there was a little bit of coaching, but I think it was more just like a free for all. Like it, it just kind of ran its own course. There wasn't more than one piece necessarily, but it was kind of like, grab your bar, let's practice this, let's warm up together. And then ultimately you wind up getting some structure, but no, back then it was just a free for all. And it, it took roughly about an hour or so. Yeah, you know, cause there was only one or two classes a day in the evening. So it wasn't ever like there was back to back classes, you know, maybe once, like I said, at 4.30, 5.30 type of thing. But you know, there's a morning class an afternoon class and then one or two evening classes. So you weren't in that time crunch like we are today. Are there any crazy workouts off the top of your head that you guys did back then where you're like, I don't know if I would ever do that now. You know, that, uh, that was a little extreme. So many. I mean, so every back then, I forget the exact day. It was like the first or last Friday of the month. There was an affiliate page, a CrossFit affiliate page, and they used to put up what they called a pain storm once a month. And every Friday, we would hit it like not every Friday, the one Friday a month we would hit it. And those workouts were typically just really dumb. They weren't well pro even from CrossFit, they weren't well programmed. They were just nonsense. And then it got to the point that we would make up our own to fill in the rest of the Fridays. And those just became what I would call kitchen sink workouts. And the one that brings a memory to my mind and it's on YouTube, we called the luck of the Lasky and Jess would laugh about it. If, if I was telling the story and, her, you know, Jess, and at this time, 
like three of her sisters joined a bunch of her cousins and all of her family members. So I was like, it was right around St. Patrick's day. So probably 2008. And I was like, Jess, make up a workout for, for the pain storm for St. Patrick's day. And she just threw like every movement on there. It was like three rounds of 17 reps. Cause it was like March 17th. I forget, <laughs> but it was like so dumb. And, um, yeah, people got rhabdo from workouts like that. Did anyone get rhabdo in those early days? Uh, there's one story. Does Ernie still go to the gym? Uh, he actually pops in every once in a blue moon. Yeah, he'll, Ernie. He'll come in for a few months. <laughs> was, that's so funny. One of my original members. And then ultimately he bought like a lifetime membership. So he just kind of comes and goes. Yeah. Um, but I remember like back then I didn't, you know, you knew everyone. It was like 20 people one of my earliest members. And I was like, where's Ernie been? I haven't seen him for a week now. And I shoot him an email and he's like, funny story, Jay, I'll tell you when I come back, I'll be there Monday. So Ernie comes back and I'm like, Ernie, where you been? He's like, oh, I had to go to the hospital. I got rhabdo. And I was like, how'd you get rhabdo? And I wasn't there. He did his own pain storm by himself and gave himself rhabdo. Wow. So he, oh, he just came into the gym and so you had open gym. Oh, yeah. I forget if it was open gym or, you know, I was gone for the weekend. You know, t I used to go to every specialty seminar that I could. So I might've been gone on like a Friday and they did it on their own. And uh, yeah, he gave himself rhabdo, thought it was funny at least. And, you know, this is before, not before rhabdo, but before there was this understanding of how you get rhabdo and, and why you get it. And that's like, okay, that opened my eyes. So maybe too much is not a good thing. And did that prompt you to start thinking about scaling more, you know, and helping people modify their, their workouts and maybe even stopping people? Yeah, that, that certainly played a role. And then, you know, just getting more educated. Like I said, in 2008, I must have hit 10 specialty seminars. Coach Glassman was doing a one what he used to call it a 101. And he would travel the, the country and just stop at boxes. And I saw him a handful of times. And you know, just the entire world of CrossFit starting to get a little smarter. Which one of those specialty seminars was your favorite? Oh, I really enjoyed the gymnastics seminars back in the day. I mean, they're still great. I took the old one. I forget the guy that did it before Tucker. Um, but that one was one of the hardest weekends I've ever had. It was just nonstop. And then I took it again. Tucker came to the box. Uh, he, you know, I, I was lucky enough to take the weightlifting seminar with Bergner. Uh, they were all so great. I, I really enjoyed them all. I luckily took nutrition with Rob Wolf back in the day. So got Kelly Starrett with the mobility seminar. So it, it was really cool. But I remember just really enjoying the gymnastics seminar and wanting to bring everything back because it was something that people could really incorporate daily and improve their CrossFit. The gymnastics seminar is always a fan favorite. <laughs> I've never yeah, it's just, you know, it's, yeah, it's just like real in, in the sense that you can practice this stuff every day where obviously you can practice the clean and jerk and the snatch or mobility. But I felt like the gymnastics one, especially back then really uh, related to everything else. Well, Jay, I think we went all in on chapter we one. <laughs> pretty, pretty far. Do you have any, any closing thoughts, any other uh, things on your mind about this time period of taking your level one, traveling out to Canada and those early, early days of, starting a business no but i do want to give a little shout out i doubt he'll ever listen to this book but i do want to give a shout out to shy i know you'll see him later today so he owns 
Albany CrossFit now. He owned the core club and I had a relationship with him since 2001. But, you know, you know, Shai's a businessman. So I know he saw $850 coming in every month and was like, yes, I'll take it. And I know he probably didn't think of the repercussions and ramifications of having loud music and weight dropping at his box. But, you know, if he wouldn't have let me rent that spot, I don't know where, you know, what would have happened. I, you know, I don't remember if it was in this chapter where I said, you know, I want, I was looking for places to rent and my Clyde Barry, who may still be a member of the core club was like, no, rent a space here. Just rent this court. Racquetball is dying. It still is. I mean, in, it's a great sport. I love racquetball. I love handball and I love squash, but you know, it's typically an old man sport. The next generation isn't playing it. So there's 18 unused courts and Shy let me run one, but he didn't have to. So I really couldn't have done it with Shy, and I'm glad that Albany CrossFit is still running because of him. And the other yeah, shout out I want to give, again, she's not going to listen, but it's my ex-girlfriend from that time period. Her name was Nikki. Did you, did, did you know Nikki? Oh yeah. Yep. I, I used to try to just keep up with Nikki in the workouts. <laughs> yeah. I mean, she was like, the, especially at the box, just like a beast. And she was tiny, you know, 105 pounds, but she was just a beast. She was like the first girl that can do pull-ups, the first girl that can, you know, she did a starting strength cycle, which was another great seminar I was able to take with Coach Ripito and go on the road with him for a few years, which took some time off of my life, uh, traveling with that crazy Texan. Um, but, you know, obviously that relationship didn't work out, but she stuck with me probably longer than she should have, considering I basically neglected the relationship to run the box. So shout out to those two people who, you know, if, if you're listening and you know them, let them know that I, that I said something nice about them, please. I will. I'll, I'll let Shy at least know. Don't mention me to Shy. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know, maybe one day he'll listen to this. And, Someday. Um, no, I think, I think that's it. I, you know, it, it's been really fun reminiscing on them, you know, just saying those names. And what's really cool is, A, hearing, I bet you a lot of those early people, I mean, does Diana still come to the box? Late I. Yep. Yeah. Yep, she so comes. Got- Donna comes. Mark Wilder's there. Laura Garrison. Lenora. Who else? Marie Marie. Anne Marie Marie is still there. <laughs> yeah, Marie Marie's still coming in. <laughs> I know some of these the listeners at this point are like, what are these two rambling about? But Marie Marie wouldn't ever tell us her last name. So we started just referring to her as her first name twice. And when I used to take pictures, she would yell at me like, no pictures, make sure I'm not in pictures. And if I ever caught her out of the corner of one and it made it to the site, oh man, she would freak out. I remember getting an email about it as well. (laughs) (laughs) And we're like, are you like in the witness protection program like what's going on and I don't to this day I don't know how old she is I don't know what she does for a living but some people are just but her and her twin sister used to come to class um and yeah just you know what's cool is I'm I'm really glad you know that's only the people that stayed at Albany CrossFit right I know a lot of them have either gone on to other boxes in the area or maybe just moved and still do it so especially those women that you threw out there Donna's got to be you know nearly 80 years old she was like 80 when we started like i don't know how old she is i'm now. afraid to ask <laughs> yeah she actually just texted me the other day and um but seeing the impact it's had on someone like lenora who's amazing and does like strong man still can do pull-ups and she's got to be 60 years old now 
Yeah. And I mean, the, the nice thing is, is you can even look back at those old Albany CrossFit videos and see Donna doing pull-ups. I mean, granted it was with a band back in the day, but still how many ladies in their seventies could even do that? Oh yeah. There's it, like James said in the other chapters, like go, go to YouTube and look up Albany CrossFit's sift through some of the, like, you know, there's, there's plenty of great videos on there, but if you go back to, I'm sure you can look up chronologically, that first commercial I made was on that uh, MacBook. I don't know if you remember, it had the Rocky music behind it. Yep. And I remember and, all the coaches eventually had their own commercial too. Oh yeah. I mean, I used to spend hours and we talk about that later on about setting rules, but yeah, it was just hours. And that's where I was saying, I would get home and just go up to the computer and work till two in the morning. And that's what it really means to go all in. Like you have to commit to it. You have to put every last dollar you have into it. And people talk about it, you know, whether like comedians or musicians who, whose parents encourage them to, to make sure they have a college degree to have a backup plan. And they're like, no, because if I have that, I won't be successful. And that's kind of what this became. Like, obviously I had my degree, but I had no money left. Um, and it was like, if this isn't successful, I got to figure out what I'm going to do with my life. Well, I think that's a great way to end it, Jay. And there is chapter one, go all in. Thanks again for listening to that special episode of Best Hour of Their Day. If you enjoyed, go ahead and download the book. You can check out the audio book. You can check out the paperback or even the ebook. We placed the link right in the show description. So once again, thanks for listening. Have a great rest of your day.